you know, no matter where you find yourself in life, you must just be able to relate and empathize with people at whatever stage of their lives they are in. Um, yeah. And you're never too good to be a cleaner or to, you know, or, or to dine with someone who lives on the street or something like that. So. Yeah. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombad, and I spark the heart conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello everyone, welcome to the show. In this segment, we will continue part two of communication in the African household. In the first segment, my family and I talked about the importance of communication, and we also shared various perspectives on how that has impacted us growing up. In this segment, we will be talking about the values that my siblings and I learned from communicating with our parents, as well as the annoying things that they did to us growing up. So sit back, relax, and hope we can all learn valuable lessons from this experience. Mm-hmm. All right. So, mommy, thank you very much for that. So, I mean, basically the verdict is we were not really beaten growing up and we still turned out right. So, <laughs> well, that's the verdict. So now let's talk about those, you know, all-rounded skills that you're talking about, mom, because I've had so many discussions with a lot of Africans and, you know, family and friends and stuff like that. And especially those right. who are, especially those who are out here, we, we see how all-rounded or well-rounded a lot of kids are here in the West. Like, I mean, education is not the only thing that, you know, they actually learn about. They learn a lot more about life. They learn skills. They go to, especially Africans who are parents here, they can understand firsthand how, you know, how busy it is or how hard it is to even have a child because you have all these games, you have all these things and recitals that you have to go to and help the child. So it's something that was non-existent in Cameroon, for example, or Africa as a whole at that time. But you guys did a very good job to really get us to, you know, learn different things. So while we were at home on holidays, like you guys made sure that we learned something different other than just school or reading or whatever. I I, I wanted to, un- I want to understand, you know, what you were thinking, like what was your train of thought when you wanted us to have that exposure? I mean, I know in form when we, well, from two or three, I think I was 12 years old, we went to do sewing and it's kind of interesting because you know, usually the 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 domestic jobs back then were not necessarily done by, you know, 
the educated people, you know, for lack of a better word. But now, I mean, anybody can do that because actually that's where the money is. That's where the money resides. <laughs> but, you know, so back then we were actually ashamed. Like when we went to go and do hair, we went to go and learn how to sew. I mean, we were proud when we went to learn how to play tennis or we went to the music seminar for two weeks to learn how to play the piano and sing and other musical instruments. But I mean, those were things that as we grew up, we definitely learned from them and we appreciated them more. Like now we can understand the big picture that you guys were seeing when we were growing up, which we could not see at that time. So what was your train of thought? Like what was your own perspective about like making sure that while our age mates or our, you know, our friends went back to holiday classes, you guys made sure that we learned other skills that will be applicable in our lives when we become adults. I know daddy has his own perspective, which he would talk. But from my side, when we look at your results, you guys were doing pretty well. And the good thing that kept the two of us happy was that you were always competing on being on honor roll. And I remember there's a famous word that when you compare your notes across the subject, then somebody will say, oh, I'm the chinda. This one say, oh, I'm the top one in this subject. <laughs> you might not recover, recall those words, but you're the chinda. I don't know what that like, is. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, the chinda is like, if you know, in the royal family, you have the, the chief or the fawn, as we normally call them, and then the people are serving them. So you were like, okay, you stratify yourselves on who was best in physics or chemistry and all those things, and then who was last. And that person would say, oh, for this subject, this semester, I, I am the chinda, I'm the last person in it. And that was what you were always saying. But the, for us as parents, we were very proud because all of you were always on our, on our road. And we didn't think that you should come home and turn your holidays into another school. We wanted you to see the other side of life, what the common man's child uh, faces. And me personally, I grew up in that environment where I had to work, work really hard to live. Maybe when I was living with granddad, as we fondly call him, that is the best period of my life. But my early years of life, I had to work. I, I went to the farm. I worked as an adult. I I did things like an adult. And then for one year that I was staying with my paternal uncle, I I was literally uh, the house help in that family, even though they didn't have any level because he was just a farmer and wife. So I come back from school. I was in class seven. I'll come back from school and you find me combing the streets of the city, either with a basin of plantains, bananas to sell, a basin of granules to sell, or a basin of sugarcane to sell. So all of that on weekends, I went to the farm and you will not understand what it means because you've never really seen it. But at my young age, I had to learn how to tap palm wine. Palm wine is a non-alcoholic drink at the beginning when you tap from palm trees. Mom, it's alcoholic. <laughs> Isn't palm wine no, alcoholic? When, at the beginning, <laughs> yes. When you take, well, it's, it's when you leave it For overnight, it turns into alcohol. alcohol. Oh, yes, okay. But when you just, yes, it has to ferment to get to, to the alcohol stage. But when you just tap it at that time, it's very sweet and it's non-alcoholic. But when you leave it overnight, it ferments. Or during the course of the day, it ferments. Hmm. So all of that, I I had to do it to live. But the one lesson I learned out of it is that I will never go hungry. 
And I cannot say I don't have money because I can do anything with my hands and I'll have money. I can do anything with the soil that God has given us and I can have money. So those skills were there. And that's why we wanted you to also tell that if tomorrow, and this is what is happening in Cameroon these days, that most children have thought that it's only when you go to school, get a university degree, then you must have a, a, a government job. If you look at entrepreneurs, they did not start with government jobs. Most of them started by doing some small micro businesses. And I'll give you an example of the owner of uh, Guarantee Bus Services in Cameroon. I don't know him that close, but Daddy, who used to be his one-time friend, told us that that guy was selling uh, matches and other small, 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 small articles in uh, the bush markets in the, in in in, in northwest. Yes, particularly Batibu. So he made a little bit of money from there and expanded. So it's it's with that culture that if you use your hands, use your brains wisely, you can always make it through life. And if you see all those rich people, they don't talk to you about working in an office to have the millions. They talk to you about skills, then to get the millions that come with the skills. Look at uh, your friend Roland. He is not employed by any government. Oh, now you're giving Roland a yeah. shout out. <laughs> yes, he is, he, is, he is getting contracts all over. Why? Because he has learned how to exploit the soil. And he's doing it in a very beautiful way. So if you don't have the skills, you think that your future and your aim lies only with a white-collar job. So that's my own perspective, and that will add his own perspective to it. Yeah, when I went to start my PhD in Britain, I, I suffered a lot with computer because there was nobody to, to teach me. You know, In those days, you had to cram how to do things like uh, copy, shift, you know. <laughs> the, oh, my God. It was terrible. And there was nobody to teach you. So, look, when I did that and I saw how people were suffering with skills that did not exist in Cameroon or Africa, mm-hmm. I said, no, my my kids are not going to, 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 to pass through the same way that I, I passed because it was too much for me that I stayed up overnight <laughs> trying to, you know, figure out what to do. It, yeah. it was too much. And then one of the things was I, I, I bought a trousers and mm-hmm. to fold it, the trousers were 25 pounds. To fold that trousers, it cost me 15 pounds. I, and I said, no, this is a waste of money. Right. We used to, to, to have a haircut for 10 pounds in Britain. Mm-hmm. And then we would go to a Ghanaian who, who could uh, cut our hair for six pounds. And people would line up at his uh, room. So I said, now I know that my kids can exploit that type of situation when they come abroad. And when they even stay home, because those skills were non-existent in children. Yeah. That's how I came home and I met them to do everything from tennis to piano to... Barber, Musaka was at the barbers, barber. learned how to do mechanic yes. work. Yes. And then yes. we so, learned how to do yeah, hair. I, I, that's how I thought that they could benefit from that. And uh, I think uh, 
they, they really did because others, children who at home, they saw them strange. But uh, today, I think uh, more parents are trying to inculcate those uh, skills in their children yeah. that they had long ago. So we really saw ahead of, of most people. Yeah. And another, and I, I yeah, go ahead. And I think they're, they're, they're paying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, they're paying a lot. You know, yeah. and another thing that when you people even went for the music classes, you were the youngest. You didn't see anybody of your age is there. Yeah, so that's true. Most people, most people still thought that it was a waste of money. And you but had pianos. You had pianos. Yeah, we had pianos had at home. Yes, I could and still play some piano. of the songs, and I and I have a piano yeah, at my right. house too right now. So, yeah. and you see, Ma has uh, inculcated those skills. Mia at even a younger age. Yeah, like Mia. Yeah, so that's true. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what you said was very true. Another very, you know, a, a good thing that I actually. Uh, remember two things that actually that I remember daddy I remember you teaching us like you when we were in primary school you taught us calligraphy like you taught us how to you know write the letters and stuff like and I remember every single time every holiday when someone was traveling you made us write handwritten letters to our aunties and uncles and I mean address them appropriately with the right calligraphy. And then like we had to send them over to, to our aunties and uncles in different parts of Cameroon, which was very good. And then another very good thing that you made sure that we always did was that every time we traveled somewhere, you made sure that we had a book. Like you were like, we have to read, we have to read like the books were the first things that you made sure that we carried. I remember one time I was 13 and we were traveling and I forgot to get a book. Like you made me buy a book. You made me buy a a book like from one of the hawkers that were selling books like and you were like we cannot sit for five to six hours in the bus without doing anything like we have to read wherever we're going which was very good because now it's like I have a whole library and I mean we can share books I wish you know we, we both talk about books and you know we talk a lot and read a lot of books so that was such a good thing you know I just want to thank you guys for all the you know, the skills that you guys taught us because they have definitely paid off, you know, in one way or the other. And I mean, just the, the experiences. Another thing I wanted to really talk about or highlight was, you know, the humility that you guys instilled in us, despite the experiences that we had. You guys may have probably been well off, but you did not come across to us like that. You know, you made sure that we did not focus on the money or on any other thing. Like, especially, I mean, in high school, we went to, we were traveling out of the country to visit mom when mom was, you know, in the UN. And we, you guys made sure that, you know, even when we were in school, we didn't feel like we were better than our peers in school, you know, which was such a good thing. You know, I mean, back then that was a little bit annoying because it's like, we couldn't, you know, show off a little bit. <laughs> but uh, I mean, just that aspect of the humility that you guys instilled in us has really brought us, you know, a long way. And that's something that I wanted Ma and Musaga to maybe highlight or talk more about. Yeah, I mean, uh, just backtrack into all the summer job experiences. I think that's one of the biggest things that I learned in hindsight and appreciated of, of that experience is just the fact that there's no job that is beneath anyone, you know, and yeah. you can never know what situation you'll find yourself in that will require you to, to use one of those skills. And, you know, again, looking around here, I see that a lot. I remember even when I finished my master's and 
you know, the oil and gas industry was in a decline. I think I had gotten a job at some point, but I wasn't going to start for another six months or so just due to the, the, the circumstances the industry was in. I wasn't ashamed. I, I, I applied for a job at Barnes and Nobles, unpacking boxes. I did Uber and, you know, that never, I was never ashamed to tell anyone that, hey, this is what I'm doing because that's where I had to do it. And that's what I had to do at that point to survive. And I had learned that from a young age, seeing my mom that was a doctor and my dad. I remember he even hurt his back trying to lift wood that we used to go cut. We used to do all those things. Although mom was a doctor and people used to look at her as someone that Making was wood. high up. High up in society, yeah. That never stopped her from doing what, you know, most people would consider come on man chores. Although she could afford to hire people to go work on the farms, she made she did it and she made us do it. You know, with the schools we went to, a lot of kids were were well off and they looked at those things as beneath them. But I think just the fact that we were made to do those things and we didn't necessarily enjoy all of it, me especially. But, you know, with time, it, it starts becoming part of you. And it, it gives you a perspective on how you view people. And I remember even when I went to school, I mean, we were okay. But we had kids from all different backgrounds, kids that were well off, kids that were struggling. And you can relate and, and understand where, you know, some people were coming from. And I think that's that's one thing that I really learned and appreciated a lot. Yeah. What about you, Ma? Yeah, like Musaga alluded to, for me, I think our parents, they indoctrinated us with the humility and just kindness, like the importance of being kind to people from, I don't know if it had to do with where we're living, but not so much because like our other friends didn't really experience the same thing. They made sure that we really integrated with the locals and didn't feel that we are both them. Like we had an open door policy. Yeah. And, and we were made to not only interact, but just be involved with the local community as much as possible, whether it was in the local church or, yeah. you know, like being in uh, the right. youth groups, the church and all of that. And I think for me, that was good. I know, like, and like Musaga said, like, going to the farm, going to the streams and like fetching water, working on the farms, even though, like, you have other means of getting those things. And and looking back, like our neighbors never did that because, I mean, they could afford for their kids not to um, leave that spot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when we went through it, sometimes it was painful, like going to the farms after school and, you know, while your friends are pay- playing their Nintendo or <laughs> PlayStation or something. But... I think they all grouped us to be better people and not undermine other people like what other people are facing or what other people go through. And even till today, like the outpouring that our parents have given on other people's lives, they've impacted quite a few lives that um, sometimes you look and you just think um, if you could just do so much 
people, you you probably will feel that you're a better person, but they never stop. Um, I think it's the principle more than the the actual numbers, so mm-hmm. to say, that um they've instilled in us and which we're grateful for that you know, no matter where you find yourself in life, you must just be able to relate and empathize with people at whatever stage of their lives they are in. Um, yeah. And you're never too good to be a cleaner or to, you know, or, or to dine with someone who lives on the street or something like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 very true. And I mean, I I also just want to commend especially dad, because I know like dad raised us basically through our adolescent years, through, you know, adulthood. And I mean, there was personally there wasn't ever a time when I I felt like, oh, why is mom not here? Why is mom not here? Actually, I mean, I remember I was probably happy every time mom went away because I know that, you know, when she's coming back, there's going to be more gifts or we're going to go visit her, you know. So there was never really a time when, you know, I was like, oh, I wish mom was here or anything. And, you know, just that partnership that mommy and daddy had, you know, especially even when mommy was away, just that partnership that they had, the teamwork that they had in raising us to be who we are today, you know, it really filled in any gaps that we may have had. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I really, really appreciate that, especially when we were in school. I mean, dad made sure that he was always coming. Like when we had any problem, he was always there and, you know, he tried his best. I mean, I remember he even, we, that every, the first, I think it's the first Sunday of every, every month. It's like dad would take us to restaurants and he's going to like teach us the etiquette, like table etiquette and make us to like feel comfortable eating with a fork and knife in public at a very, very young age, you know? And, um, there were so many people, so many of our friends who did not even know how to eat with a fork and knife at that age, you know, but daddy made sure that, you know, we had all of those skills so that of course we don't go and disgrace him somewhere. <laughs> But but those are the little things that, you know, they came a long way for sure. And another thing is like Musaga never wearing his socks <laughs> with his shoes. That was like another pet peeve of daddy and drinking tea with a spoon. Oh, my goodness. It was like, don't even dare. And daddy would just yell at you, you know, like those little things, they went a long way. So right now I wanted to talk about some of the, you know, the things that we felt like were annoying that mommy or daddy did, but they've really helped us. Yes. You know, one, one, one thing though, mom, one, one thing, right. was like that one, one, one good thing that daddy did was like, daddy actually respected our privacy. Like when I had a letter, daddy would not open that letter. He would tell you like, I have a letter for you and stuff like that. He would never, but mommy, mommy will open that letter, read the letter, <laughs> digest the letter before even telling you that you have a meal. And I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why one is daddy, one is mommy. Oh my goodness. And mommy was so nosy. Before you move to the next topic, just to add that, what the, the three of you didn't know is when daddy was doing his PhD, he was working in this uh, food processing company. And at night where they had to pack uh, tins of food, yes, boxes that were being produced. And at the same time, when I was doing my master's in Australia, I was actually cleaning the house of this rich uh, couple and their shop. 
So you see that it, it's not about the level of education. It's about what you want at each time. And I had to do it. I had money to pay, but I was like, all the money that I worked starting my, my job with the UN, I'm not going to take that money and pay for my fees and then pay for rent and all that. I have to look for another way to subsidize that. And so I, I just got myself employed. They knew I was a doctor, but and they respected me. They came and collected me. And at the end of the month, whatever I got from them was enough to pay my rent. So I didn't have to use extra monies. So it just tells you that no skill is ever useless. And it depends on your circumstances. And the what people, yes. And they respected me so well that, uh, I didn't feel, they didn't feel like this is just a low a black African girl working for us, you know. Yeah. So we use those skills ourselves, even in our adulthood. Yeah, that's true. Thank you for sharing that, mom. Yeah. What other things did, you know, what other pet peeves did mom or dad have or what other things that, you know, they checked us on, which were pretty annoying, but which may have influenced us today? Um, another thing, another thing I can give is that daddy always made sure that we dressed our bed. We made up our bed. Oh, my goodness. Like, don't leave the room without making up your bed, because that would be like you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> And someone was always in trouble, Musaga. <laughs> Musaga was always in trouble. So what other things can you guys think about? On me calling you from anywhere in the world to grab her uh, something that is right next to her feet. But I guess I'm not <laughs> and then every time she called me, by my middle name, I knew I was in trouble. Right, right. <laughs> and you know what, Musaga? Actually, another annoying thing that mommy used to do, oh my God. When, okay, mommy, I can be in the kitchen and mommy would think it's Ma. And when mommy calls Ma and Ma doesn't answer and Ma is not there, and she'd be like, who's there? And I'm like, it's Njabi. And she'd be like, then you can't answer. I'm like, well, I'm not Ma. She's like, well, it's the same thing. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like... <laughs> Okay. Or when you're sending me and you're like, go and tell them to do something. And I'm like, okay, who is them? And you're like, you cannot go do it. I'm like, oh my goodness, mommy, you were just so annoying. You were so annoying. <laughs> oh my gosh. Curfew. Ma, you're not. Station rights. A curfew and visitation rights, right? I mean, we couldn't just go. I know. And stay out as long as we want want it and as long as a lot of our friends could but you know given the environment that we're living in that was, that was a pretty good and you, you, you told you told Camilla to, to, to make extra chicken <laughs> yeah Musaga was so mischievous at school oh my yeah. goodness so Camilla will make a whole chicken I just kept to him at school. At school, when he, he was, wasn't he visiting. He dash out of the to come and collect. I know. And he had a phone. He had like a cell phone at school, right? And that yeah, was even forbidden. And mommy at home, if, 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 there was a lot of stuff that I hated eating, like okra. And mommy would, <laughs> mommy would make us eat it. She'd be like... You're going to eat everything everybody's eating because if you find yourself somewhere where this is all they have, right? you have to eat it. Right. So 
That's true. And uh, Ma, what stories did you have? Ma, Ma was never really in trouble for the most part, or they were never really yelling at her. Maybe she was the one who knew how to. No, you knew how to manipulate the system. <laughs> I was a good child. Oh, please. Please. <laughs> you are not a good child. You're not. Oh, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> right. Whatever, my. <laughs> Anyways, so let's 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 round this up. Let's play a little game. So this is a game of who's most most likely to. So who's most likely to get shouted at by their parents? So this will be the parents who will talk about that. <laughs> the only boy. <laughs> You're not the on parent, the Musaga. <laughs> on the call, on the call. <laughs> well, I mean, the person, the guilty person was charged with that and he answered the question. So who's most likely to read every book in the school library? They weren't speaking. <laughs> well, I think it's a tie between me and daddy. We both love reading. So, yeah. Well, Musaga, Musaga, Musaga reads too. So, yeah, but I guess. Much, yeah. yeah, he doesn't read as much. But yeah, me and daddy, we read. We read. Uh, who's most likely to, to become a priest or a nun? I think it's a tie between <laughs> two people. <laughs> Ma. Ma. Ma and mommy. <laughs> <laughs> Ma and mommy, who's most likely to join the military? <laughs> Daddy. Daddy, oh my goodness. Yeah. Who's most likely to snitch? Debbie. M- Musaga. No. Musaga. <laughs> Debbie, you are. No. You are. No, Musaga is it. Who's most likely to become a vegetarian? Mom. Mommy. Mommy. Mom, for sure. Uh, who's most likely to scream at a spider? <laughs> Daddy. Daddy. No, Ma. Are you kidding me? Daddy. Oh, my goodness. It's Ma. Like, spider. It's Ma. <laughs> it's Ma. It's Ma. Who is most likely to become addicted to candy? I think it's I think it's a tie between mommy and daddy, especially daddy. Daddy has a sweet tooth. No, I don't. I don't eat candy. Well, daddy, daddy loves candy. Daddy loves chocolate. I know. Daddy loves chocolate. And then, um, who is most likely to win a Nobel Prize? Mm. Mommy. Mommy. Mommy is a ch- Miss Charity. Mommy and then ma. No, mommy. It's just mommy. Mommy will win for altruism. Ma will win for something medical. Something medical. Who? Something who, books. who? Right. Who is most likely to get hungry in the middle of the night? Of course, Musaga. Oh my goodness! No, I don't eat after well, six p.m. No, have. I don't eat after 6 p.m. It's Musaga. Mus- Mommy, look at this. Musaga wakes up at 3 a.m. in the morning. You just hear footsteps. No, I swear. I swear. It's not me. It's Musaga. It's no, don't Mus- swear. Don't swear. <laughs> okay, don't sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry. All right. Sorry, there's some work going on in our rooftop. So it's uh, Okay, no, that's fine. The last question, who's most likely to be a cool mom or dad? I think all of us. 
Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think we have come to the end of this. Is there any last words for our listeners about the importance of communication and open discussions in the African family dynamic? I think we are just too proud of the three of you, and it would have been our wish to have Biomani, but God knows why. We, looking back, we didn't know we were doing something that you would appreciate while we are still even strong enough to do things. But uh, we just want to thank you people that you appreciated it. And this conversation, again, is just reminding us that we need to continue to be a family and communicate. But one thing that you need to talk is that we never fail to make you recognize all the other family people. And that's why every holiday we made you visit every other family member just to know that these are your relatives and you need to take care. But most important is God has blessed us. We have more than enough. We've never gone hungry. We've never gone naked. There are too many people out there that do not have. And always please share. And they say, hey, God loves a cheerful giver. The more you give out to people who are not directly related to you uh, blood-wise, the more benefits you receive also from the, the people you don't even know. So please make it part of you to always sponsor somebody, to always take care of somebody's needs. And this is what all the charity work that we've been doing is uh, about. Give back to the community what God has placed you with. So never count the cost and don't lose track. I mean, that is what we, we can say. And uh, Daddy, if you want to add something? Just that uh, the skills that you've had and the way that you've been brought up, the discipline, we pray that uh, it should continue and you should impart them to your kids and to you, yeah. whoever you meet yeah. so that uh, you think that they can benefit from them. So please just continue as the way that uh, you were brought up and we think that it will be paying Thank you, you. And your immediate environment and people around. Thank you. Well, thank you guys so much for joining in this discussion. I mean, I hope it can also impact the listeners and other people who are probably facing any kind of difficulties, you know, just having that open discussions in their families and stuff like that. So we have come to the end of the podcast and I hope that this discussion does not only end here and that we can have more of these conversations within our circles and learn to be more understanding accepting and tolerating of each other thank you guys so much and thank you for tuning in and i will catch you on the next episode thank you so much family thank you bye that's it for today thank you for listening to our show if you want to participate in the show or find out more helpful resources then visit www.livingafricanpodcast.com for more information or email us at hello at livingafricanpodcast.com also don't forget to connect with us on all social media platforms at Living African Podcast. you can also connect with Anyo directly on Facebook or Instagram at Anyo Fombard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another.